Good morning. Good morning. Um, let me just sort out this. A while ago, Paul Campion, our minister, got in touch and he said, Stuart, are you free on Sunday the 25th? So I checked my diary and yes, I was free on the 25th. He says, would you speak on Sunday morning? Sure, I'd love to, to speak on Sunday morning. What do you want me to speak about? And he said, Psalm 131, a continuation of the study that we're doing in Psalm Ascent. I said, great. Not remembering what Psalm 131 was about, I then read it. All three verses. <laughs> three verses. I looked. I stared. And then the cry goes up, Lord, what do you want me to say? Hmm. It took a while for the reply, and the reply was quite simply, Stuart, I want you to say nothing. I want you to say nothing. He said, Lord, I know you've got a sense of humor, uh, but there's a lot of good people coming on Sunday morning, and I'm sure they're coming to hear me say something. He said, Stuart, I don't want you to say something because... I want to speak to them. Mm. Now that stopped and made me think. And I suddenly realized that the three verses which we'll get to, well, it was not the problem. They were actually the gift. So we're going to, to look and Psalm 131. And of course, it's one of the, the 15 songs in the psalm that we've been studying from Psalm 120 to 134. And these psalms have always been the, the sort of primary way in which Christians have learned to pray. Historically, down through the years, the church has used the psalms to pray along, as, along with the nation of Israel and the Jewish people themselves. And it's helped us learn not just to pray, but to live. And live everything that we pray. And so these 15 psalms were lightly sung, possibly in sequence, uh, by the Hebrew, Hebrew pilgrims as they went up to Jerusalem to one of their great worship festivals. Uh, they had seven festivals, but they had three big ones in particular. And of course, Passover was probably the, the biggest one when they remembered when they were taken out of Egypt. But they're called Psalms of Ascent or Ascents. Uh, and the reason is that because actually where they went to meet with God was in the temple, which was located in Jerusalem. And Jerusalem was the highest city in Palestine. So as these pilgrims traveled, then much of their time would be sent ascending because it was uphill. 
And last Sunday, Paul Campion, our minister, had a, a wonderful picture of Jerusalem that had been in the time of David. And it shows you Jerusalem, and it shows you how actually you ascend, and you come to the, the outer walls, so it's uphill. But when you reach the outer walls of the city, you then continue up more steps until you reach the walls of the temple. And then even then, when you reach the walls of the temple, you've got to work up, walk up more steps until you get to the temple courts, where you would then meet and worship with God. But here's the thing. For those pilgrims, the ascent was not only literal, it was also a metaphor. The trip to Jerusalem acted out a life lived upwards towards God. That's what it symbolized, and that's what they wanted to think about. A life that was an existence that advanced as we pilgrimed from one level to another level, upwards and continued onwards. This picture of the Hebrews singing these 15 psalms as they left their daily routines of discipleship made their way from, as they made their way from the towns and the villages, the cities and the the farms up to Jerusalem becomes a, a background for understanding life as a faith journey. There's two things in the scriptures that we are referred to as, we're referred to as disciples, and we're referred to as pilgrims. Of course, pilgrims are on a journey. So we are all on a journey. Indeed, we sang in one of the first songs, this is a long walk into, uh, an eternal walk into, sorry, a long walk into eternity. An eternal walk. And that's the pilgrimage that we are on. We're on a walk into eternity. That's beautiful. I don't know if you stop to think about things like that. We're on a walk into eternity. And so like then, these psalms, these songs, can be songs of transition as we move and walk. Because as we move and walk, they were reminded that they were on their way to meet with God. And here's the wonderful blessing that we have. Actually, on our way, we can meet with God. Indeed, Jesus walks with us. And we can encounter God on our daily life's walk. And so these are psalms, or songs of transition, and they help us get to where God is leading us in Jesus Christ. So now here comes the question. How should we approach the reading of these psalms? You know, two weeks ago, Helen asked us, you know, what 
do you expect when you come to church? Last week, Paul said, you know, why do you come to church? And I had to ask myself the same question, but, you know, why do I read the scriptures? And how should I read these psalms? This series has been uh, based on a book uh, by Eugene Peterson. Eugene Peterson was... uh, he was a professor emeritus at a university, a Regents College in uh, British Columbia, and he was the man that translated the scriptures uh, and gave us the message translation. And he had a phenomenal knowledge of the ancient languages. And the message was created uh, as an idiomatic Bible. What that means, it was written for contemporary culture, <laughs> American culture, but, you know, it applies to us as well, to help us just read the Scriptures. But he also, it came to mind, he wrote a, another book. And it was a book that I read many years ago. Uh, and it was called Eat This Book. And it was for preparation of a course that was going on. And it was a play to Revelation 2, when the Apostle John received this revelation, and God said to him, here, take, eat this book. It's like honey, sweet to the lips, but bitter to the stomach. And in that book, Eugene Peterson talks about how we should approach scriptures. And actually, there's many, many ways for us to approach God through the scriptures. And this is what Eugene Peter said, and this stuck with me. He said this, in order to read the scriptures adequately and accurately, it is necessary at the same time to live them, excuse me, to the, uh, is, in order to read the scriptures adequately and accurately, it is necessary at the same time to live them. Now that sounds good. That sounds logical, but it goes on. Not to live them as a prerequisite to reading them and not to live them in consequence of reading them, but to live them as we read them. I think that's a fascinating statement. Live them as we read them. And he said later, it is the assimilating the reading to the living and the living to the reading. He then said it's that easy, but it's that hard. You see, reading Holy Scriptures, as you all know, is intended to change our lives. And not just stuff information into our brain cells. That is not the purpose of reading the Scriptures. The Holy Spirit gave us our Holy Scriptures 
to keep us in relationship with a holy trinity and keeping us in relationship with God keeps us alive and responsive to reality the reality of God and his presence and his kingdom and our relationship with him in that. And it's when we experience God and when we encounter God, that's when lives are changed. In some way, shape, or form, you who follow Jesus Christ encountered him at some point in your life. And that changed you. That changed you. Changed me. The, the problem we have is this psalm was written maybe 3,000 years ago. So the original writer, and we think it was David, you know, writes this psalm 3,000 years ago. So, you know, thousands of years have passed since the originator wrote this. In fact, many cultural translations have happened. You know, even languages have changed. And yet, here we are, 3,000 years later, about to listen to the Word of God. As fresh and as appropriate as written all those years ago. Another really good book uh, was written by a gentleman that I know called Chris Webb, and it's called The Fire of the Word. Subtitled, Meeting God on Holy Ground. And he says this, Christ treats you as he treated them. Talking about his people. His words are addressed also to you. His voice is in your ears and his touch touches you. Experience the scripture as deeply as you can. Bathe in it. Drown in it if you can. I have no idea how you will be experienced God reading these scriptures in this way. There is no method or system for encountering God and no predictable result. This is not a mechanical procedure, the turning of wheels and dials to crank out a predetermined answer. You may be surprised or shocked or find your world turned upside down, pain may well up from deep inside of you. Or you might experience joy. Oh, I, how I long to experience the joy of God's presence. You may be broken down or built up. It is not always easy. But then he goes on to say this. But have courage. One thing I am absolutely certain of. If you seek God's love in Scripture, you will find it. You will find it. 
And all of us want to experience the Bible as a life-changing text, you know, charged with the presence of God, where we encounter Him, encounter His life, and our lives are changed. We are transformed. C.S. Lewis had it right when he's... Uh, C.S. Lewis had it right. Of course he did. Yeah? Phenomenal man of God. C.S. Lewis wrote that when we come to Scripture, it's not a question of learning a subject, but of steeping ourselves into a personality. Steeping ourselves into a personality. Who is the best person we know that represents God? Jesus. He is the person. He is the one who came to model life for us, for us to look towards, for us to see the face of God. So, in other words, the primary purpose of meditating and reading the Bible should be to meet with Christ, to hear His voice and to see Him more clearly so that we might love Him more passionately. But we don't have love. There's something deeply, deeply wrong. And so Scripture reading is meant to aid in the process of forming us in Christ. Just like Paul wrote to the Galatians, chapter 419. See, the wrong approach with the wrong attitude can make Bible reading absolutely worthless. You know, and I look back in my own life, and I, I thought, where have I sometimes gone astray? Where have I felt that my reading at times has not really helped me? And I have a friend who wrote a book, so I can tell you about this. His name is Gary Moon, and he's written numerous books. He's a, a psychologist and a philosopher. Uh, he's American, and uh, he tells the, the story about his uncle. And his uncle announced that he was coming up to 65, that he was going to retire. And he said, when I retire, I'm going to read the Bible in a year. Sounds like a good thing. And so he retired and he read the Bible in a year. After reading the Bible in a year, he then said, I wonder if I can read the Bible once a quarter. So the following year, he did read the Bible once a quarter. He read it four times in the year. At the end of that year, he said, I wonder if I could read the Bible in a month. And he did. He read the Bible in a month. At the end of that, he then said, you know, the number 144 is a biblical number. I wonder if I can read the Bible 144 times once a month. 12 times in the year for 12 years. And he did. He did. 
And then he died. Literally, he died. And here's the sad thing. Gary turns up at his uncle's funeral. You know what the family said? He died the meanest, spirited son of a gun they ever knew. That's a true story. Isn't that sad? Isn't it tragic? And see, the, there is a wrong approach. There is a wrong attitude. All that effort, all that opportunity to experience God, to know God's word, and yet not to know God. Fruitless. And so Eugene Peterson actually helps in us to approach the scriptures. And he gives us three guidelines condensed. He said, first of all, think about how we read it and then how we reflect on it and then how we respond to it. Read, reflect, respond. So that's what I'd like to do with you this morning. I'd like to walk through Psalm 131. I'd want you just to listen. Just like the early saints, down through the years, the majority of the scriptures have been read to the saints, simply because there wasn't that many Bibles about. And also because not until the late 1800s, the majority of the church couldn't read. And so they had to listen. And so they developed their listening skills because they came with an attitude that they wanted to hear God. Why? Because life was tough and they had to hear from God. They were desperate. We are blessed this day with many, many translations, many, many publications. And the fear is that we lose our listening skills to hear from God. But every story down through the scriptures is God speaking to his people. Every story. And so, my prayer for you is that as we read, that you hear. So as we read this psalm, Listen to see if God draws your attention to a phrase or a word or something. Just draws your attention to it. Something just nudges you towards it. And don't do anything with it. Just recognize it. Don't analyze it. Don't think about it. Just accept it as God drawing you towards it. And so let's read Psalm 131. And my prayer is the Spirit of God will touch your hearts in this. Psalmist says, God, 
I am not trying to rule the roost. I don't want to be king of the mountain. I haven't meddled where I have no business or fantasized grandiose plans. I've kept my feet on the ground. I've cultivated a quiet heart like a baby content in its mother's arms. My soul is a baby content. Wait, Israel, for God. Wait with hope. Hope now. Hope always. Ponder those words. I'll give you a few seconds. And so we want to read his scripture again. I read slowly and prayerfully. I want you now to take anything that God has given you and ask him, Lord, what are you saying to me in this passage? What is it you want me to learn? And so this is the time to reflect. So reflect as you listen to what God is saying. God, I'm not trying to rule the roost. I don't want to be king of the mountain. I haven't meddled where I have no business or fantasized grandiose plans. I've kept my feet on the ground. I've cultivated a quiet heart. Like a baby content in its mother's arms, my soul is a baby content. Wait, Israel, for God. Wait with hope. Hope now. Hope always. And you're given one more opportunity to now respond. And slowly and prayerfully, I'll read the passage again. But this time, you know, respond to God from your heart and speak to God of your feelings and your insights. And this is the opportunity to say what's in your heart back to God. God, I am not trying to rule the roost. I don't want to be king of the mountain. I haven't meddled where I have no business or fantasized grandiose plans. I've kept my feet on the ground. I've cultivated a quiet heart like a baby content is in its mother's arms. My soul is a baby content. Wait, Israel, for God. Wait with hope. Hope now. 
hope always. For me, when I read this, the one phrase that stuck out is, I've cultivated a quiet heart. And I'll finish on this. Dallas Willard said that the heart is a spiritual place from within us which outlook, choices and actions come. What is in our heart matters more than anything else for who we become and what becomes of us. There isn't a book in the Bible where God doesn't talk about our hearts. The word heart turns up 713 times, so I know that that's important to God. And this is what Jonathan Endold said, the great American evangelist in the 1700s. He describes it like this. The first effect of the power of God in the heart is to give the heart a divine taste or sense, to cause it to have a relish for the loveliness and sweetness of the supreme excellency of the divine nature. My prayer is that we might, through encountering God and his word, experience some of that sweetness of the supreme excellency of the divine nature. Amen.